Praise God. We'd like to welcome everyone today. If you are a guest with us, we're so glad you're here worshiping with us this morning. Amen. And uh, let me just say, I would, I would love to get an opportunity to greet everybody. I'm not sure if that's going to be possible this morning. But let me say on behalf of my wife and myself, we wish all of you a great, happy, wonderful Easter. And hope you have a wonderful day with your family and friends. Amen. I'm going to turn your attention this morning. And uh, you're, you're, you're a, it's a good day because... My charger and my iPad went kaput in the middle of the night, so my iPad's not fully charged. So let's find out if Jesus runs out or the battery runs out first. So if you like short messages, you might be your day because we might run out of battery. Amen. Yeah, thank you for that. I want, to pull, I want to draw your attention to a very, very famous passage of Scripture. If you've never been to church today, I guarantee you've at least heard this Scripture at least one time in your life. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent His Son, sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated this morning. For just a few moments this morning, I would like to just uh, take a different approach, if you would allow me this morning. Normally today we talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ because uh, this is Easter and this is Passover and we, we know that this is the time of year uh, that uh, these events took place. Just in case you're wondering, Jesus was not born on December 25th. And so we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate the birth, but that isn't the exact time that we, he was born. But this holiday has significance because it is the time in which the death, burial, and resurrection had take, taken place, and, and uh, we've talked about that. And, and, and to say to you today uh, that Jesus loves you and Jesus died for you are very factual statements, absolutely 100% factual statements, biblical factual statements. But I'm a very inquisitive person at nature, in my nature, I'm very inquisitive. And, and so for me, I, like, I kind of like to know the why of things. The problem with that is you don't always get the why. Life doesn't always give you the why. You may want the why. You know, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? You don't always get the why in life. Uh, unfortunately, that doesn't stop us from asking the why. Uh, but today, I want to focus more not on the what, but on the why. Because the what today is the death, burial, and resurrection. But the more important thing to look at and the big picture is the why. To say that John 3.16 is, 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 is absolutely true, that Jesus came and died for us to be saved, that is a very true statement. But that little statement is a very small portion of a larger picture. So to focus on that little statement, sometimes you miss the importance of the big picture. And so today, for a few moments, I want you to keep this thought in your mind as we explore exactly the why. And this is the thought I want you to keep in your mind, is that Jesus found what Adam lost. Jesus found what Adam lost. So let's, let's, let's take a moment and let's go all the way to the, to the back to the very beginning. And we know the story of creation. Whether or not you believe in the story of creation, that's for another subject for another day. But let's go back to the biblical account of creation. And we know that the things that, that were, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 that were created, we know that things happen on day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4. And the Bible says that God spoke, let there be light, and God spoke this, and God spoke that, and God spoke this. But when it came down to His final creation... The Bible says he didn't simply speak. But the Bible says that, that God got down into 
the dust and created and formed man after his image with his own hands. Is that his greatest creation wasn't something that he spoke, it was something that he created with his own hands. And when Adam was created, there were three things that Adam had in that garden. The first thing that Adam had was he was created in the image of God. He was not God, but yet he was created in the image of God. He, he, had, a, he had a reflection of who God was. He was. The image of God was reflected in him. The second thing that, that took place that Adam had is... is, is is interesting because the Bible says that when God got down into the, to the dust and created Adam, that the Bible says something very unique. It says that, that God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. There's two things that are very unique about that sort of statement, that God breathed. If you read the scripture, you go back and you read, it says that God breathed into his nostrils. And so, being a very inquisitive person, in case you don't know this, let me share this with you. The Bible was not originally written in English. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was mostly written in Greek and a little bit of Aramaic. So, the original languages were translated into English. That's how we can read the Bible today, unless you can read Greek or you can read Hebrew. You can't read the Bible as it was originally written. You have to read the translation. Sometimes words get lost in translation. Sometimes what words mean in one culture, I've been all over the world and, and very blessed. The Lord has blessed me. I've been all over the world and I've, and I've been able to teach and preach in many different cultures. And, I, and many times I've had to preach with a translator. And it's so funny to me, it's hard to stay focused sometimes because you want to laugh, is that you hear what you say and then you hear how it's translated. And when you translate, sometimes you can give this extremely long sentence, you know, something along with Jesus loves you and he cares about you and he wants to do this and all this. And then the translation to that is just simply like, I'm like, I just gave you 47 words and you summed it up in two. And then on the flip side, you say something simple like, God is great. And then they go, I'm like, whoa, whoa, time out. I just said God is great. What are you talking about? Are you ordering off the menu? I don't know what you're doing. And so sometimes things get lost in translation. So I'm a very inquisitive person. So I see this verse. I've read it a thousand times growing up. I've seen it. Maybe you've seen it. It says God breathed into his nostril. I thought that was kind of interesting. So I, I went, I'm like, okay, let me find out exactly what's, what's the word nostril mean? Maybe the biblical word nostril has some great deep meaning. So I, I, I went, and there's a thing called a Strong's Concordance, which has the original language in it, and it has it so you can see what the original word. And are you ready for this great revelation? Do you know what the word nostril means? Ready? Nostrils. <laughs> Literally nostrils mean nostrils. And so I looked at that, and I'm waiting for this great revelation of God to give me. Why did you, you know, kind of asking God, hey, God, why did you breathe in, in, in Adam's nostrils? And I'm waiting. I'm like, here, I'm going to unlock the key that's going to amaze everybody. Nostrils means nostrils. Okay. That's a dead end. So then I, 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 got a, I sort of started thinking about it for a little bit longer, and, and all of a sudden the Lord brought this to my, back to my memory bank. We have three small kids at the time. My daughter, who was one of the ones uh, that was singing today, uh, um, she was the taller white one, in case you're wondering. <laughs> let's not get confused here. Uh, which one was my, Which one was yours? Uh, let's, well, I'll help you out there. Uh, uh, now nah, I'm just totally sidetracked. When my, I, have, I have a 10-year-old, I have a 7-year-old, and a 4-year-old. And when they were little... My wife, I don't know who taught her the trick or she figured it out. Somehow she got, this, she, she got this deal that when you give a child medicine, like liquid medicine, most kids don't want to swallow it. So they put it in their mouth and they hold it. And so you, you're trying to get them to swallow it and they got their mouth closed and you're trying to, you know, you're doing airplane noises and faces and you got elephants and clowns. Everything you can got to do to get them to swallow, they don't do it. So what you do is 
is that when their mouth is closed, if you blow on their nostrils, the, hitting them with that breath of air on their nostrils will force them to have to react and open up their mouth. And by open up their mouth, it causes a natural swallowing. So I got to thinking about this, and I'm thinking, okay, he breathed through his nostril. And I'm like, okay, God's pretty smart. I'm, he's smarter than I am. I don't know CPR. I've only seen it done. Not for real, but I've seen it done on that dummy. And I know when they do CPR, you don't breathe into someone's mouth and nostrils. In fact, when you do CPR, what do you do? You close their nostrils and breathe into their mouth. So I'm like, if God is the creator, shouldn't he have known that? What was he thinking? He should have known that was the way it was supposed to be done. And I thought, okay, God, if you knew that breath is supposed to enter into our lungs through our mouth and go down that way, why would you do that? And I, and, and I felt like the Lord began to speak to me. And here's what I imagine. And again, it's not in the Bible, so I, it, this, this, is, this is my version. Maybe your version is different than my version. That's okay. But I picture God getting down and forming Adam out of the dust of the earth. And when it was time for, Ad, for God to breathe into Adam, he breathed into Adam's nostrils. Why is that important for you and me today, thousands of years later? What significance does that hold for you and I today? Here's the significance. Because the first time man felt the breath of God, man's reaction was to open up his mouth. Man's reaction was to open to God. It wasn't God to force himself into man, but it was God to breathe upon man and have man react to God. God is not into pushing himself into you and slamming himself into you and trying to squeeze himself into you. God's way of doing things is for his spirit to blow upon you and then you to react to his spirit. But the Bible says this in Leviticus, that life is in the blood. So you have this clay form of a man. And when the breath of life enters into man, something supernatural is formed inside of Adam. Because the moment that the, the breath of God blows upon Adam, blood begins to flow in his body. The Bible says he formed Adam out of the dust of the earth. But when that transmission of breath entered into Adam's body, blood began to flow in Adam and life entered into Adam through the blood. So you had the idea that Adam had the image of God, Adam had the blood flowing through him. And the third thing that Adam had that was significant is this. The Bible says that God showed up every day in the garden to talk to Adam. Every day God showed up in the garden to talk to Adam. How do we know that, preacher? Here's how we know that. When Adam and Eve sinned, and they ate of the forbidden tree, they decided and realized that they were naked, and so they made fig leaves, and they covered themselves, and they hid. And the Bible says God shows up in the garden like he did every other day. Every day. He shows up, and the Bible says Adam was nowhere to be found, and God calls out, Adam, where are you? That there was a communication that God had with Adam. There was a personal one-on-one communication. It was a communication between God and Adam that happened every day where God was waiting to commune with Adam and Adam was waiting to commune with God. And every day they had a personal relationship that took place on a daily basis. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, And they were removed out of the garden. Three things were lost to humanity. The image of God began to fade away. That we were created in His image. We were created not to be an angel. We were created as human beings in His image. We've got blood. We've got life inside of us. When... When Adam was separated out of the garden and these things began to be lost, the communication between man and God began to be lost. And so man began to rely on a priest or began to rely on another avenue to communicate with God because man started to lose slowly the communication between him and God. 
Where now it was to communicate with God, you had to communicate through someone else. It's not God's desire today that anybody have to have somebody else to communicate to Him. It's like, oh, when you were in school, maybe you never did this. Unfortunately, I have to admit today, I did this. If you wanted to talk to a pretty girl, you didn't talk to her yourself. You had to find somebody else to talk to her for you. Because you didn't want to talk to her, so you had to kind of go around. That's sort of like some people think about God. Some people think God can only be talked to through a preacher or a priest or a church or a congregation. That's not the way it is at all. God's desire is to communicate to you directly and for you to communicate with Him directly. It is not God's desire for you to have a relationship with a church or simply a church. Is there something wrong with the church? Absolutely not. But it's not His desire for you to have a relationship with a church because a church cannot save you. Let me say that again. It may disagree with you today, but it's the Bible. Whether or not you agree with it or not, a church cannot save you. A religion cannot save you. There is only one who can save you, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Adam lost these things, and Adam, and Adam forfeited that, because if you read the Scripture, you realize that it was God's intention for Adam and Eve to dwell in that garden. There was no time limit on it. It wasn't you do this for a certain period of time. It was an unending time, but it was their own will and sin that got them kicked out. And so man went on a, went, 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 was separated from God's intended plan. It was God's intended plan to have man formed in His image. It was God's intended plan for His breath and life to be in that person. It was God's intended plan for there to be a communication. But when man sinned, we lost that. Because the Bible says we all have sinned. Come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that there are none good. No, not one. It doesn't matter what you think someone, you know, we can look at everybody today and they look dressed up and they look pretty and they think, well, they got it all together. But you don't know their past. You don't know their thoughts. You don't know their actions. You don't know what they do when no one's looking. We all have come short. We all have sinned. Yeah, we may not categorize that way because we may say, well, I've never done that. I've never done this. I've never done this. And I've never done that. I've never done that. Okay, fine. You may have not done that. But the Bible says if you're guilty at one point, you're guilty of all. So to categorize and say, well, you know what? You know, I, you know they stole a car. I stole a pack of gum. So what's the big deal? I mean, come on. They're really bad. I'm no, 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 God doesn't see it that way. Today, we're all in need of restoration. And so the Bible says that man began to... to Quest, this quest to find God and begin to search for God. And we see individuals that begin to arise throughout the scriptures that had a communication with God. But at large, in large, most men had no ability to directly communicate with God that was lost. And so God began to create an avenue. He built a tabernacle, a temple. He was given, it was given to him by Moses and built this tabernacle, a place for him to dwell in, a place for him to, to commune in. But only a select amount of people could go in that area. If, if you weren't of the select in crowd, you couldn't go in there. You were on the outside. And the Bible says one day of year on the Day of Atonement, the priest, the high priest, would enter into this chamber where the Ark of the Covenant was, and this chamber is called the Holiest of Holies. And inside of this chamber, that one person, one time a year, one time a year, I want you to get that in your mind, one time a year, one person. I think that's so amazing to think about living in such a period of time that'd be like coming here today and basically we have a lottery system. You all line up, it's okay. Everybody put your number in the pot. All right, and whoever has the lucky number, you're going to get to be experienced God today. Everybody else, thank you for coming. You can go home today. Lucky number 74, great. You can experience God today. Everybody else, I'm really sorry. Come back again next Easter. We'll try again. 
One person one time a year could experience God. That was it. But when this high priest would step into this area called the holiest of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, that was, there was no natural light. It was perfectly sealed. But there was a light. Because when God, the Spirit of God was in that, in that chamber, He Himself is light. Because the Bible says God is light and in Him is no darkness. So when God came into that chamber, the reflection of light and who He was, it's literally saturated and surrounded that priest as He stood in there. And then that priest did something else very unique. That priest would carry in blood as a sacrifice. He would sprinkle it upon the ark as a sacrifice to God for the sins of Israel. But something unique took place as well. There's something, and I don't want to be too technical here, But we have biblical history. There's another side called oral history. And that means simply that the Jews, it's hard to say 5,000 years of existence was, was all put together in 39 books. That's how many books are in the Old Testament. There's no way 5,000 plus years of history can be surmised in just 39 books. So there's a vast amount of stuff that's called the oral history. It's stuff that happened that's not in Scripture but has been passed down from generation to generation. And one particular rabbi did some digging and did some research, and he came up and discovered that when that priest would enter into that chamber, that priest would enter in, and when that priest would communicate with God, he would communicate with God in a language he did not know. He could only speak that language when he stepped into that chamber and he could not speak it again when he stepped out. It was a complete supernatural event. It was a communication between him and God that happened on that one time. And so you have this idea that Adam has lost something. But the Bible says that Jesus came and Jesus was our high priest. And so I want now that we kind of look at... the. at at the why. Now let's get to the Easter part today. Is that now we stand and we see, we're standing before the cross and we see Jesus up on that cross and and, and he's, He's there and blood is beginning to trickle down His body from all the agony He's been into and now that blood is trickling down to the base and now it's, it's, it's beginning to puddle at the foot of the cross. And all this stuff is taking place. And all the, the swirling of the darkness and the, and the earth is beginning to shake. And the wind is, is beginning to howl as creation groans at the death of the Creator. And all this is taking place. But there's something supernatural that's taking place as well. Because you see, the Bible says that when Jesus finally gave up the ghost, when Jesus finally died, He cried out, It is finished. Something took place there that was supernatural, that was beyond just what was happening at that cross. Because the Bible says at that moment, the veil of the temple. What is the veil of the temple? That was the door that kept everybody out. That was the door that only allowed that one guy one time a year to go in. Everybody else had no right in there. That door... When Jesus died, the Bible says the veil of the temple was torn apart. What does that mean? It means that the access that Adam had in the garden, where he had access to God, he could talk to God, communicate with God. When the blood of Jesus Christ was sacrificed on that cross, and He became the sacrifice for my sins, that the access for you and I, the access to Him was restored. It does not take a church. It does not take a preacher. It does not take a religion. Because when that veil was torn in two... Every person that desires to know Jesus has access to know Him. It does not take an education. It does not take money. It doesn't take a specific 
ideology. It doesn't take this many of that and this many of this. It simply comes down to anybody that desires to know Him. He said, seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open. Ask and it shall be given. The bottom line today is it's not that we can't get to Him. He came for us. He came for us. And the access that was there. Because you see, Adam lost something that Jesus restored. Jesus restored that access to Him that you and I can have. And when you go all the way back to the very beginning again, is that something else happened. You've heard some of you have heard me preach on this recently. But allow me to do it again. Something happened. The image, that image, we go back to that image, is that when man sinned, they were naked. And the Bible said they were naked and they didn't know they were naked. Meaning they had no shame in their life. They, 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 had, they had nothing to be ashamed of, but when sin came in their life, they suddenly realized they were naked, they were ashamed. And the Bible says they made fig leaves. I don't know if you've ever seen a fig leaf but they're not exactly the most comfortable things in the world to touch. I cannot imagine having a fig leaf bikini. I'm not, I'm not sure she had a robe on. Let's just not be honest. Let's just talk real. I, I'm not thinking she had a full robe on. Let's just, maybe that's how you think it. I don't think she had a full robe on. I think it was minimal coverage, but that had to be some painful minimal coverage. And they were covering themselves with their own way. They were covering themselves. They were covering themselves the only way they knew how. And a lot of us in here today, we're covering up ourselves the only way we know how. We covered up with jobs. We covered up with family. We covered up with success. We covered up with this. We covered up with that because that's the only way we know how to cover up what's going on inside. You see, the problem is today, what you reflect, not always what's happening in here. We are, hey, look, the Oscars has nothing on humanity. The greatest actors in this world are not the ones in Hollywood. The greatest actors in this world are the people that are sitting next to you that you see every day. Because we all walk around like everything is good, but inside, it's not always so great. You know, the person, you always ask somebody, how you doing? I'm doing good. Because that's sort of the way we'd say things, right? Most of the people, you say, we don't want to say how you doing. Horrible. <laughs> I mean, literally, I'm within one second of just, just wanting to go crazy. No, we just like, how you doing? Good. Are we doing good? No, not even close. You just got done. You and your wife just got done going at it. Someone's going to die. Pick up the phone. How you doing? How's it going? Great. We're doing great. Awesome. Great. So we do stuff to cover up the fact because we all understand there's things in our life. There's all of it. I don't care who you are today. You may be the sweetest person in the world. I don't mean this to be derogatory. You may be sweet and peachy and everyone loves you. But let's be honest. All of us have things in our life. Every person in here has something in their life that... We cover up. We don't want anybody to know. And you know what? That includes me. There's no exemption because you stand up here. You get exempt. I've got things. I'm so thankful every day that nobody knows. I'm laughing and crying at the same time. It's true. But you know what? Adam and Eve had a problem. They realized they had things they had to cover up. They didn't know how to cover up. So what did they do? They covered up the only way they know how. Some of us today, you're not, you're not doing anything bad. You're just doing all you know to do. That doesn't mean you make you a bad person. You're just doing what you... I haven't come today to tell you what you're doing is wrong. I've just come to tell you today, hey, there's a better option. You're allowed to leave here today and continue with the way you're going. That's fine. There's nobody going to stand at the door and say, you can't leave. And No, no, no. You, you can do what you want to do. It's a free country, and God's giving you free will. I'm not telling you today what you're doing is wrong. I'm telling you today there's a better way. 
You don't have to try to live that way. And so the Bible says God shows up. Back to that communication thing. God shows up and he calls out to Adam and says, Adam, where are you? Allow me to say this because I always have to point this out because I think it's very, it, it's very fitting to point out. The Bible, I've heard a lot of pundits of Christianity that said, here, see, isn't that stupid? That's so stupid. Here's God who's supposed to know everything and he, he doesn't even know where Adam is. He's calling out to Adam. That's so stupid. See, that proves God is, is, is just, he doesn't know what he's doing. That proves right there that you don't know what you're talking about. Because the funny part about that whole thing is when God called out to Adam... He knew where Adam was. In fact, I'll I'll put it this way. The Bible says God inhabits all space and all time, right? Is that you can't, if if I'm here and I move here, guess what? God was already there. He doesn't move with me. He's already there. If I move, if I'm here and I move here, I'm no longer there. But if God moves, God's still everywhere. So God's everywhere, right? So what was funny about this is, come here, Adam. The fig leaves today. Good fig leaves today. So what was funny is, here Adam thinks he is hiding, and God shows up for his daily chat with Adam, calls out, Adam, where are you? And people say, isn't it funny? You know, they're playing hide and go seek, and God can't find Adam. What was so funny is, according to the Bible, God inhabits all space and all time. Guess where God was when he was calling out for Adam? He's standing right next to him. Adam, where are you? Why is that important? It sounds silly, but why was that important? Here's why it was important. is because it wasn't God's job to find Adam. It was Adam's job to admit he needed to be found. It wasn't God's job to point out Adam. It was Adam's job to admit, I'm lost and I need to be found. God knew where he was. God knows where you are. Can I just let you down? God saw you when you woke up. He knows if you brushed your teeth or you didn't. He knows how long you spent on your hair, some longer than others. He knew everything. He knew, he knew how you got here. He saw the whole thing. God knows where you are. So if God knows, the question is, if God knows where I am, why doesn't God help me? I'm letting you know why God knows where you are, but it doesn't help you. Because you've got to admit where you are before he can help you. God knows exactly where you are. He knows the fear. He knows the worry. He knows the doubt. He knows the uncertainty. He knows the hopelessness. He knows the darkness of the future without knowing. He knows that you're searching for something. He knows all that. Then if he knows all that, preacher, why doesn't he do anything? Because he wants you to recognize that you need that. I've said this before. I thought it would make my job a lot easier a lot easier if somehow God would give me a special dispensation, a special exemption that if I saw you today, that I could come back there. I'm going to use you again, Adam. His name's not actually Adam. Uh, grab him and say, come on up here now, right now. I know you need God in your life. So you're going to stand right there. I did this a couple weeks ago, so I'm going to do it again. Stand right there. Look good. Okay, this arm there. Tilt the wrist there. Good. Okay, that good? No, you want to go a little farther there. Spread that finger right there. Good. Okay. Looks like everything's lined up. Good. Okay. All right. Looking good. Okay. Ready? Okay. Okay, God, he's ready. Give it to him now. He's ready. Fire away. How awesome would that be? That would be amazing. Because, man, people would just be God would be doing awesome stuff if we could somehow do that. But God doesn't allow me to do that. Because God doesn't even do that. Why? Because God just wants you to recognize, God, I need you in my life. I need you. I need you. He knows you need him. He made you that way. He made you to, 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 to need something bigger than yourself. It's in your nature to look for something bigger than yourself. Whether or not you know the answer to it today, maybe you're seeking to find it, but in your nature, God made you to want to find something bigger than yourself. The question is today is that God doesn't just come in. No. 
You know what's amazing is? Here's the, one of the coolest scriptures. I don't want to call the scriptures cool. I just think it's just an awesome scripture. One of the best scriptures in the Bible is, it'd be one thing if when he's on that cross, right? And because he's God, he can see the end from the beginning. So he sees you and I sitting here today. And he's on that cross in all that pain and agony. Can you imagine the agony and pain just to take a breath? Literally, they say the position of his hands and arms, literally the way it was, when you do that, it, literally, it causes suffocation. So the only way you can breathe is to literally pull yourself on those joints that are nailed in there. Pull yourself up, take a breath before you sink back down because the suffocation, you're literally suffocating to death. So you have the agony of doing that on nails, while your back has just been plowed raw, is rubbing up against that tree. So every breath is totally agonizing. Every breath is agonizing. And in that moment, he reached out and he looked at me. And you know what? Guess what he saw, Ray? He saw me standing here with my suit on, looking all holy, perfect, and he said, boy, that's a good guy to die for. Boy, look at that. He is just a holy guy. No. You know what the Bible says? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know what that meant? Is when he looked out and saw me, he literally saw me at my lowest. So when people say, I've done too much, I can't come to God, you don't realize that God already saw you at your lowest on the cross, and yet he stayed on the cross when he saw you at their lowest because nothing can separate me. To say today that, oh, I can't, I can't allow God to help me today. Preacher, you don't know what I've done in my life. No, I don't know. And to be honest with you, I really don't want to know. But he knows. And he doesn't know it like a peeping Tom where he's trying to get the low down on all the dirt in your life. No, what you don't understand is that he saw you from the cross at your lowest but instead of finally saying when the, when the thief looked at and said, why don't you just call down some angels and get yourself off? It was love. It wasn't nails that kept him on that cross. It wasn't nails. Come on, folks. He was the creator. He could have looked at those nails and just pulled them off, pulled them off, got down, said, I'm done with this stuff. It wasn't nails that kept him attached to that cross. That's what... Humanity looks at. Humanity sees the nails that kept them on that cross. It wasn't nails. It was love. It was love that kept him on that cross. It was love that kept him at, through the agony of being able to pull himself up with every breath. It was love. Love for who? Love for the world? We can say that, right? Because it says God so loved the world. Boy, that sounds wonderful and it is biblical. But no, 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 no. It wasn't love for the world. It was love for me. I'm not one of many. That's not just hyperbole today. And maybe you don't believe that. And if you don't believe that, I'm sorry you don't believe that. And one day I hope you find the revelation and you do believe it. But he did not die for the world. He died for me. I'm not one of many. I'm the only. I'm not one in the line. I don't have to stand in line. I remember I went to, went, went, went to community college when I got out of high school, and it was like 30, 40 people in a class most, and, you know, the professor knew your name. You knew the professor's name. You got some kind of report. Then I finally transferred to the University of Maryland, and I remember first semester there, I walked into class like 600 people. And I'm like five miles away from the professor who's way down there. He didn't even know I was there. He didn't even know my name. This is not a reflection. If you're in college, please don't take my example. I literally would sit there and read the newspaper half the time. He didn't even <laughs> blink. I was in a crowd of many. He didn't even know my name. I'm up there reading the sports section. It didn't even faze him. I did pass, thankfully. <laughs> and you know what? I got the thing. I'm like, why, why do I, you know, it was, he doesn't know me. Do you think I really, he cares about my grade? That's what the way I thought, because I felt like I was just one of hundreds. You know, today you can come, and, and this is not a big, a massive crowd, but it's a good enough crowd. 
that you can feel lost in a room like this and feel like, you know what? I'm just one of many. No, 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 you don't understand. You're one of one. And that literally if you were the only one, he would have done everything he did for you, the only one. And so today, the question is, is that in order to find through Jesus what Adam lost, you've got to do what Adam did. And that is simply this. You've got to recognize. You've got to recognize when he calls. Adam, where are you? He said, I'm over here, God. He said, what are you doing? He said, I'm hiding. He said, Adam, why are you hiding? He said, because I'm naked. Today, the question is, is that God calls you, reaches out to you today. He knows where you are. In fact, he stands by you, right next to you when he calls out to you. The question today is, do you recognize where you are? Do you recognize in your own life your need for him? That's something you cannot force on a person. I cannot force on you a need for God. I cannot make you need Him. You and you alone in your life can recognize and must recognize your need for Him. God doesn't violate you. Your will, it doesn't, I can't violate your will. I can't make you do it. I can't force you to do it. It's a desire. But you know what? To find Him, you don't have to find Him in a church. I know that sounds really the wrong thing to say, especially as, you know, supposed to be the pastor. You can't say that. No, you don't need a church to find God. There's no scripture in the Bible. I've looked it up, and I guarantee you, you go look it, you won't find it either. There is no scripture in the Bible that says you can only find God in church. The Bible says simply this, those who seek will find. It doesn't matter where you seek. You can seek from home. You can seek in your car. You can seek at work. You can seek on vacation. You can seek in an airplane 30,000 feet in the air. The problem is it's not where you're seeking. The question is, are you seeking? And what's amazing is, and I finish with this, the Bible says that the Gospels, he stands at the door and knocks. If anybody in this universe has the ability to break a door down, it's God. If he can speak in light conform, he can sneeze and the door of your life be blown to splinters. But yet he stands at the door and knocks. Why? Because you know what? It takes you to be able to open up the door. I challenge you today on this Easter Sunday, I challenge you with this, not to join a church. If you want to come here, we'd love to have you. It's a great group of people. It's a great place to be a part of. There's other churches that you could go to that are great to be a part of. You don't have to come here to go to heaven. There's nothing the Bible says, yeah, i got to come here. But on this Easter Sunday, I challenge you with this. Is that You would seek him to know him. And you're seeking, you would find him. Don't let another Easter go by. Don't let another day go by that you hear the call of God calling after you. But you don't have that response that Adam did. Okay, Lord, here I am. God calls out to you. Where are you? The response back is, here I am. Does God know where you are? Absolutely. He has everything you need. It's already in line. It's already mapped out. He has everything you need. The only thing that's waiting is your response, I need you. I need you. Would you take a moment this morning? Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you all for coming today and celebrating with us. We're so thankful that you're all here. But more important than just coming today to celebrate a holiday 
to put in a religious obligation. God saw you when you showed up here. And you're not here today to just simply put in a religious obligation, but you showed up here today because the Bible says the Spirit of God draws us. You are you were drawn by the Spirit of God. Whether you came by invitation or you just showed up because you saw the sign, the Bible says that we are drawn to Him by His Spirit. But even that, God can only do so much. There has to be a recognition in all of us that we need Him. Father, we thank You today. We thank You and we celebrate Your death, Your burial, and Your resurrection. And Lord, today I pray that every heart and life in here, that you call out to them, you call them by name. In fact, your word says you even know how many hairs we have on our head. You know everything about us. And Lord, you call out to us. But Lord, I pray today that you would give all of us the grace and faith to respond, here I am. Here I am. I'm here. Lord, give us the grace today to admit, Lord, I'm here, I'm hiding. I'm hiding in life. I'm hiding in success. I'm hiding in jobs. I'm hiding in friends. I'm hiding in family. I'm hiding in retirement. I'm hiding in this. I'm hiding in that. I'm hiding. But God, you know where we are. And God, we're hiding. We're hiding. We're covering ourselves up the best we know how. But God, I know today you have a better plan for our lives than to simply exist in hiding. But God, you have a plan in our lives. I pray today that through your love that every person in this room today would have the opportunity to experience you in their life like never before. That the knocking on their heart would be answered with the response of, Here I am, Lord. I need you in my life. I want you in my life. I don't want you just to be a portion of my life, a section of my life. I don't want to just see you once a year. But God, every day I want you a part of my life. I don't want to just come out of hiding once a year. But God, when I wake up in the morning and Easter is a memory... I want to be able to say to you, God, I need you today. When I wake up on Tuesday, I want to be able to say, here I am, Lord, I need you. When my world is falling apart on Wednesday, when the world is caving in, and I don't know where to turn on Wednesday, and Easter is a distant memory, God, give me the grace and the faith to call out to you at that moment, here I am. Help me, Jesus. Here I am. I pray these things today, Lord. I loose your love upon every heart and life in this place. I loose a hunger to rise in their heart. I loose your, your love to fall on us today. Let us feel your love. Let us be pulled and drawn by your love today. In the name of Jesus. That we can find in you what Adam lost. You said seek and we find. Knock and it would be open. Ask and it would be given. Lord, today give us the grace to seek. Give us the grace to knock. Give us the faith to ask that we can find you and know you like never before. We pray all these things. We thank you for all these things in advance. For you are great. You are a great God. And we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor and all the thanks that's due unto you. Because you truly are worthy of every ounce of praise that we can give you. We can give you only so much. And God, you deserve so more. But everything within us, we give you praise. Because you're worthy. You're worthy. Thank you today. Would you just stand with me this afternoon? And just one more time, those of you that would, can we just thank Him right now all over this place? Can we just thank Him? Can we just give Him thanks today? In your own words, can you just say thank you, Lord? Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you, Lord. Can you just do that in your own words? It doesn't have to be loud. You don't have to sound like, some, like you're reading some beautiful poem. Just give them your own words. Maybe those words are simply thank you. Thank you. Thank you today. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I wonder before we close, 
if you would just sing this with me as a prayer today. Oh, sing, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm away, Lord, have give you my heart, I give you my soul, I live for you alone every breath that I take every moment I'm away Lord have oh sing it with me now Lord I give you my heart I give you my soul sing Sing it one more time with me, oh Lord. I give you my heart, I give you, I give you my soul. Sing it, I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm away, Lord. give you my heart I give you my soul I live for you alone every breath that I take every moment I'm awake oh have your way in me God bless you today we're so glad you came and joined with us today. We're so thankful that you've celebrated Easter with us. We encourage you, please come back and be with us again. We'd love to have you. And make sure you take time to shake somebody's hand and greet them. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Have a great and wonderful day today.